you don't have to know it all to be great. We're great just for who we are. And I don't think we're great because we know something or we're great because we've done something. I think we're great because we are part of this great universe and we are an integral, unique part of it. There's literally no one like you. There's no mm. one like me out there. Not one person that has your soul and that has your energy, that has the things you've learned. Just you being you, that in itself is it. And anything you do with that on top of that makes it even better. But the baseline is already, I think, a miracle. Welcome to another episode of Why Not Meditate podcast. I'm your host, Masako Kozawa, a teacher and a student of mindfulness meditation. I am so happy that you're here. You know what I am discovering on this podcasting journey? Well, there seems to be an infinite supply of people who have gone through some sort of mystical out-of-body experience by doing, what's that thing? Oh yeah, meditation. <laughs> it just keeps reaffirming to me that this is a topic worth discussing and sharing. So this is episode number 34, and I am excited about sharing this fascinating conversation I had with Wenzel Magowin. Wenzel is known as a musician, a writer, and a board game creator. He is a member and a co-founder of the internationally touring band called Moonhooch, and the inventor of the traffic cone saxophone. And if you're not sure what Traffic Cone Saxophone is, just go visit his website or his Instagram and you will see the image. After having gone through a spiritual awakening experience in 2013, he's written two books about mystical experiences, meditation, and the science of personal growth. He has also created a board game called non-physical, which involves mindfulness and meditation activity to improve emotional intelligence. He creates meditation music. He also offers personal coaching sessions by providing a framework to help you to turn your thoughts and dreams into action and reality. I mean, his talents and accomplishments are amazing, but what I am most impressed with is how humble he is. So prior to this interview, I did listen to his music, and I liked it. But after having this conversation and getting to know him, I became a fangirl of his and also his band Moonhooch. In this conversation, we talk about meditation, mystical experience, spiritual awakening, consciousness, relationships, reincarnation. I mean, all of the things I am very interested in, and I am so thankful that I get to have this kind of conversation with amazing people like him. And I am honored that I get to share this with you. So without further ado, please welcome Wenzel Magowin. Hi, Wenzel. Thank you so Hi, much Masako. for being here today. Thanks How are for you? Me. Doing great. So I understand a little bit of your background. Um, I understand that you are musician mm -hmm. and you have been playing music. Uh, specifically, I believe saxophone is your instrument. That's right. Yeah. Play the saxophone. Mm -hmm. Also the traffic cone saxophone, putting a traffic cone into the saxophone. 
I saw the picture of that. It's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> It's fun. Um, and you also went through some sort of like spiritual awakening at some point in your life. And yeah. that kind of shifted trajectory of your life. And I bet your attitude toward music also shifted as well. And I would like you to share with us how your journey has been and how meditation came into your life, how that impacted your life. So wherever you see fit. Yeah, meditation has completely changed the way I look at myself, I look at relationships, and I look at music. Mm. I think when we're looking at reality, there's always a place we're looking from, right? Regardless of what the reality is, the one thing that's always consistent is us looking mm -hmm. at reality. So when you start changing that fundamental lens through which you see the world, the world changes very drastically. Yeah. When I started playing music, I was very focused on, you know, playing well, impressing others. And a lot of energy was always spent thinking about that. Am I playing well? What do others think about me? You know, stage presence issues, how am I being perceived by the audience and so on. Mm -hmm. And all of that is extra processing in your mind that takes energy away from what you could be putting into the music. Yeah. So what I learned through meditation is to basically stop that and just go into the presence of the music and mm -hmm. anchoring myself fully in a direct experience of the music. And so it gave me a much deeper access to performance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How did you encounter meditation? So you were already performing music. That's right, yeah. I had, had a studio in New York and I was playing with my band Moon Hooch there. And I was hitting a wall to some degree mm -hmm. and was trying to find a way to bring more purpose to my life mm -hmm. and also deal with anxiety. And I had some friends, actually my ex-girlfriend as well at the time, she was really into meditation. And I always knew that I, I should be meditating, but it took me years to actually then start meditating. Mm, what was the resistance? I was just laziness. Like, I, I feel like there's also like, there's like excitement about like thinking about things, you know, like even today I feel that like sometimes my mind wants things. Like I like mm -hmm. want to play chess right now. Like I want to think about something. I want to solve problems. I want to have engagement. Mm -hmm. and meditation is sort of the complete surrender of all that yeah. where you're like no i'm no longer gonna be solving problems or following thoughts or having any sort of conflict with anything mm -hmm. right you're basically choosing to give up conflict mm -hmm. and i think there is an innate resistance to that because we are born into a culture that's very addicted to conflict mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know how far back it goes, but I'm just reading a book on, on American history and uh, it's the history of the world. It's just, there's so much fighting constantly, right? Like, yeah. And I think a lot of that is just the addiction to conflict. And I think that we have that tendency latently. It's something we have to deal with to like not want to have problems, like the, the addiction of problems to let that go and kind of step away into a quiet, non-reactive focus. Mm -hmm. So... Now I practice an hour a day of meditation, but when I started, it was just 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. 
but that was already enough to kind of start prying open a little space where I started to realize who I am beyond my mind. Mm. How did that show up in your life when you're starting out? First, it was kind of by the idea that I'm creating a little castle within myself. Like when I was meditating, I was like, oh my God, I'm, I'm starting to realize that this is such a peaceful place I can go to. Mm-hmm. And then I was kind of thinking, like, it's kind of like a little castle that I'm creating in myself where I can go in and close the doors and just be in this safe castle. And so mm-hmm. in the beginning, it was very much like a little container of peace and tranquility. Mm-hmm. And gradually that started growing and growing and growing until it really became an all-encompassing purpose. Mm. Now meditation has given me access to a dimension of consciousness Mm -hmm. from which I can revisit challenging things and not lose it. Where I can, you know, look at past trauma or conflicts and, and just be like, okay, that's present, I'm feeling that. But there's Mm -hmm. also the dimension of peace that I've cultivated. And so it's just giving me a lot more bandwidth to process and deal with difficult things. Mm. You know, that's profound when you can look at it from a distance, whatever Mm -hmm. life issues that you're going through. You used to be in the middle of everything and you didn't have the clear vision of what was happening, probably. Mm -hmm. You are like being pulled toward multiple different directions but you kind of detached yourself from all of that chaos and saw it from far away. Mm-hmm. And you could like make sense out of things and maybe resolve certain things. And I mean, that's powerful. Mm-hmm. I think in the beginning of meditation, it starts with detaching, right? You're like, you're stepping away. And I think in that process, sometimes what can happen is um, like maybe there were points where I didn't seem very authentic because Mm. there was so much of me that was very chaotic and there was another part of me that was very peaceful. So I kind of unintegrated. And I think that can often happen in the beginning of the journey Mm -hmm. that that you kind of have these unintegrated aspects where one is kind of observing the other and the other is like not really acting or feeling peacefully. Mm So I I think that's an integral part of the journey that you take a step back from yourself and just kind of watch it and identify with the observer. But I think now the last couple of years for me, it was almost like a stepping back into who I was before I started meditating. But Mm -hmm. now with the perspective, the love and peace that I've gained through meditation. So kind of revisiting layers of my psyche with from a different perspective. And so for me, the last couple of years have been a lot about unconditional love, learning to love aspects of myself that I had shunned. Mm. Because even when I started meditating, I started to realize all my faults because I could see suddenly myself so clearly. Mm, that's tough. Where I would then be like, oh my God, I'm an awful person. I've, I've done this, I've thought this, I felt this, and like kind of having a judgmental meditative attitude which wasn't mm-hmm. necessarily helpful. Maybe mm-hmm. it, was a, it was a step on my, on my journey, 
But now I've kind of taken more the approach of really a loving parent towards mm. all the aspects of myself that are less um, evolved, you know, like a more traumatized childish aspects of myself and kind of holding and loving them. Mm -hmm. yeah. I bet that has shifted not only the relationship that you have with yourself, but the re other relationships in your life with your family or friends or yeah. partners. Absolutely. My relationship with my mom used to be pretty challenging, but now it's the best it's ever been mm -hmm. because I feel like I used to judge her a lot. And now I'm just learning to appreciate things for what they are. Mm -hmm. And that also means appreciating people for who they are. We all are such unique expressions, mm -hmm. truly unique. And so I, I stopped seeing my mom through the lens of the mom I would have wanted, but more like feeling, wow, this is an amazing person. And mm -hmm. I've, I've learned so much from this person. And I guess seeing my mom more like from the perspective of respect and yeah. And also my coworkers, the same, it has meditation has given me so much more of a capacity to step back from triggers and just appreciate and feel what is without having to react or defend and so on. Yeah. One thing I noticed early on, on my meditation journey was to notice there was this mental like space that I never had before. Mm -hmm. And I used to just react to somebody's words or behaviors. It was more like, you know, I was triggered and I would yeah. get a knee-jerk reaction and mm -hmm. thoughts or words or whatever would come up. And, but after meditating for a certain amount of time, I would like start catching myself. Oh my gosh, I'm going to have a knee-jerk reaction. Then I had a choice. As soon as I had the awareness of that, I had a choice to decide how I wanted to respond rather than just reacting. Exactly. Like automatically or unconsciously. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that was a game changer. Absolutely. Science has shown that meditation is creating a really strong connection between the prefrontal cortex and the mm -hmm. amygdala. Yeah. And the amygdala is basically center for all these emotional responses. Mm -hmm. And now suddenly they're not just reactive, but they're being modulated with having the space to decide, you know, the prefrontal cortex is essentially our intelligence. Mm -hmm. So from there on, we can be like, okay, these, these are the emotions that are coming through right now. What do I do with them? Mm -hmm. And I think it's also really important not to push emotions away. Yeah. And rather just really feel them fully. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean they need to be reacted to. Like if I'm feeling angry about something someone did to me, it doesn't mean I need to give them my anger back. Right. But it's just something for me to process and deal with. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I feel like I'm really good at that, but I, I still get triggered and still slip up and, you know, get angry at people or whatever, <laughs> you know. But, I do too. Yeah. <laughs> Especially with my own child. <laughs> That's the hardest. Yeah. Because, you know, I'm so close to her, mm -hmm. closer to her than other people. And right. I also have more attachment toward her. Yeah. You know, I have more expectations. And yeah, so like I have to like really monitor myself and mm -hmm. be also like forgiving toward myself. 
mm-hmm. I cannot be like a saint for 24-7. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, it's something to grow into slowly, you know? Yeah. So you started like 15 minutes a day and then that expanded to an hour of meditation. Yeah. And did it kind of naturally progress? Or did you have like, did you take classes and, you know, that kind of gave you the idea or how did that happen? I went to a Vipassana meditation retreat. Okay. Yeah. And I did uh, 10 hours a day for 10 days. Was it a silent retreat? How Mm -hmm. was it? It was very challenging at points. And I also had a really profound awakening experience there where I kind of had the experience of the complete loss of my identity Mm. can you give us the the details like how many days into that retreat did that happen do you remember it's like the sixth day okay sixth or seventh day and i just connected to what it is like basically to be fully enlightened Mm. i had this experience of just complete oneness just this buzzing energy of love guiding every action and that was the only reality and i was in that state for a couple hours Mm. but then my mind kind of came back in and was like i can't function like this (laughs) and like this is too much like i'm not ready for this and so i kind of went and back paddled a little bit started struggling again with my mind and so on Mm -hmm. but now it's becoming more integrated it's just less intense it's like less like shattering Mm -hmm. but it's more like a a workable energy that i can you know Mm -hmm. tap into more more groundedly when you had that like couple of hours of like pure enlightenment Mm -hmm. did you see any visions or messages or downloads or yeah i did yeah i started communicating with some sort of deities um okay I, I mean, I wasn't religious or spiritual at the point. I thought meditation was just a scientific fact that you're, mm. you know, rewiring your brain. Mm-hmm. So I didn't expect anything like that. But I was suddenly talking to some sort of ascended non-physical beings. I was calling them at that point the beings of love and light or also beings of 10th dimension of love. I think using words for something that far out is kind of pointless. Yeah. Um, uh, so I don't really want to label it as something or even claim that I could prove that it's real or not. Mm-hmm. But it definitely gave me the feeling that consciousness is something that evolves beyond the physical existence mm-hmm. and far, far beyond into other dimensions of of enlightenment and I don't really like the word enlightenment because people think of it as a static thing that Mm. is once it's achieved you're on a Mm -hmm. pedestal and everyone is supposed to touch your feet um (laughs) i don't really think that exists i think that there's infinite levels of love and we're just gonna go more and more into becoming one with everything Mm -hmm. anyway i was somehow having a telepathic conversation with this higher aspect of consciousness Mm. and receiving the insights that I'm eternal and there's nothing I need to worry about Mm. because I'm not even a human. Mm. I'm just now believing myself to be a human. Right. I'm having a human experience, but I'm Mm -hmm. essentially a spirit. 
And they were showing me basically that I need to be communicating this on this life mm -hmm. and that I'll see them afterwards. <laughs> and <laughs> I mean, it was, it was a lot, you know, it was, there was also like all sorts of lights wrapping around my body and it was a full on like crazy downloading experience that I don't claim I can explain or even accurately put into words, mm -hmm. but it was definitely reality shattering and life altering. And I'm a completely different person because of it. Mm. And, and the things I do now are in service of that love. Was there any doubt or suspicion or hesitation in your mind when you were going through that experience? Like, were you like, no, this, this is too weird. This cannot be true. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So like, you're conscious I, about it. Yeah. I was thinking I was going crazy because I was like, I don't believe in this. Mm. I was experiencing things firsthand that I did not believe in. So that's just kind of intense. Like it's one thing to be a Christian and then meet an angel. Right. Because that's kind of like makes sense, yeah. you know. But if you meet an angel and you're not Christian, then you're like, what the hell? Like, what is real? <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, yeah. Wow. So you came back from that 10-day retreat and your life changed after that, I believe, many aspects. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You could say that. How did you apply what you experienced into everyday life? Because, you know, okay, when you go away, like for 10 days, it's complete silent meditation, mm -hmm. 10 hours a day, but you have to come back to the everyday life at some point and deal with, right? you know, stuff. Yeah. I mean, it was, the interesting thing was that what I had then suddenly identified with was a version of myself that no one really knew. Mm -hmm. So like a lot of people then saw me as my old self mm -hmm. and wanted me to stay that old self. Even mm -hmm. if they wouldn't say that, the way they related to me was like, no, that's not you. You are the small self that I know. And so it was a struggle of kind of holding what's true within me mm -hmm. while being in relationship with other people that didn't see me. For who I right. was. So that was many years of struggling with that. Mm. But I feel like I just kept at it. I started writing books, you mm. know, about these experiences, interviewing scientists, just really affirming my new path. Yeah. And then gradually the people around me started to see the value mm. in that and also how it would affect their life positively. Mm. And that was never something I've spoken about, but it's just the energy shifted. But I think it was also me stop resisting other people. Even if someone else doesn't see who you are, if you accept that fully mm -hmm. and accept them fully, then you can be your authentic self with them because you yeah. no longer expect them to meet you. Mm -hmm. And, and so I think that was something that helped me was just kind of accepting others for who mm. they are and not wanting to change others or prove to others who I am. And I bet that gave you more sense of peace. Yeah, for sure. And then you can build relationships with more mm -hmm. like purely, you mm -hmm. know, without expectation or attachment. Yeah. Also right afterwards, I got into a really challenging relationship with a woman and she, she was very traumatized. Um, she had BPD, borderline personality disorder. Mm. 
Okay. And that was like an eight year long journey of such chaos. Mm. But like the lesson was continuously just unconditional love, mm. you know, loving her no matter what, and also trying to learn as much from it. Mm. But yeah, I, I wouldn't say that this relationship was, it, it wasn't easy at all. Yeah, I think the most important thing about the journey is just to expect that there's going to be turbulent water. Like, mm-hmm. like so many times, even after I had these like enlightenment experiences, I would go back into places of utter confusion, you know, mm-hmm. and learning to even have faith and trust in those situations. When you don't see the answer and you don't know where it's going or why it's happening. Yeah. Yeah. Part of me feels that that lady saw your light and an mm. amount of love, and then she probably felt that somehow you could help her mm. or save her through her struggles. Mm-hmm. That and- was true. Yeah. And I also believe that. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what the problem was. Yeah. Um, and you know what's interesting? I, I did like a, I built a meditation hut in Northern California and I, I went there for like a kind of a quest about like, why am I so stuck in this relationship? Mm. And I meditated like several hours a day. And at one point I heard a word, I heard a phrase that, that was very insightful. I'm just gonna call this lady Mary. Mm-hmm. That's not her actual name, but that's, I'll call her Mary. So I heard this phrase And the phrase was, the misunderstanding you and Mary are having is that she came to this planet to prove her worth to herself, Mm. but you are trying to prove her worth to her. Mm. And that never works. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So that was really, it made me laugh and cry at the same time because I was kind of like, oh my God, that is so deep. Like all her struggles, like her parents abusing her, like she was beaten and all of that seems like felt at that moment was part of her soul's journey to be born into a family where she's not seen, she's not recognized, she's not supported, but still learn to give that to herself. Mm -hmm. But when we were together, she was so far from that. She kept going into these loops about basically believing her parents. Mm-hmm. And then also becoming violent towards me mm. because then she would kind of misread my actions as neglecting her or like would get over fights about the way I order a bagel, you know, would end up in a screaming match. And like, anyway, it was like one of those relationships that you only have once. <laughs> um, <laughs> and yeah. Well, I believe any relationships that we go through in our lifetime are the greatest teachers. You know? Oh yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> we learn so much, like each party learns so much and yeah. hopefully we are better because of those relationships mm-hmm. and Absolutely. then like prepare ourselves for the next relationships and, <laughs> you know, won't repeat the same lessons, hopefully, but it will be another layer of yeah. lessons. It can also happen that, that we repeat, but at that point, it's like, okay, what am I not getting here? You know, What's, right. what is the lesson I'm missing? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's, relationships are fascinating because basically you're getting yourself reflected back through different lenses. 
Yeah. You know, every person has a unique way of seeing the world. Mm -hmm. So they are going to see you in a unique way. Mm -hmm. And that I think to me is so fascinating, like how, how people see me and how I see people. It's like every person sees me so differently. Yeah. yeah. And if you don't understand that, that part, it's pretty difficult to keep building the relationship in a healthy way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do you have any books that you can recommend in terms of relationships topic that you've read? Um, and I don't think I'm like the best person to give advice in relationships, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> um, any books, nonviolent communication. Have you heard okay. about that book? No. Mm -mm. That's pretty good. Okay. It's basically a book about communicating in a way where you're separating your observations, your mm -hmm. experience, and your expectations. Mm. So you don't mix those three together. And when we just like talk in the heat of the moment, the way we, we talk to each other, we often mix all three randomly. Mm. And, and then it's very hard for the other person to really see and hear us. Yeah. Because let's say my girlfriend expected me or I expected her to bring back some pasta because I was making pasta. This is a made up story. I was making pasta for our guests, whatever. Mm -hmm. So she forgets the pasta and she comes back and then doesn't apologize and just blames me for it or whatever. She's like, well, why didn't you get the pasta? And then, you know, I separate the three things. I'd say, first, what I observed, right? Mm -hmm. Obviously, there needs to be some sort of agreement between both people to sit down and really have this conversation. Right. Because it takes longer if you're separating the three. But it's also a much better way to, to solve arguments. And so the first one would be the layer of observation. When you came back from the store, I saw that you didn't bring the pasta. That just happened. Then the way it made me feel, I felt that you don't take me seriously and don't care about my needs when that happened. Mm -hmm. And I felt angry. And then what I wish and expect. Mm. I wish that if I ask you something that's important to me, that you really take care of it and take it seriously. Mm -hmm. And if that doesn't happen, that you acknowledge hurting my feelings and apologize. Mm. Instead of going, why did you bring the pasta? Why didn't you get it? You know, and then going to... <laughs> right. Yeah. So like yeah. the underlying... That takes some mental space. Yeah, absolutely. It's, <laughs> very, it's very easy to talk about it when you come. It's much harder to use it in practice. Yeah. 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 It might take a few days after the incident to go over that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. You might have to let it blow up first and then revisit Mm -hmm. After you came back from the retreat, did any of the friends or people who knew you before that retreat, did they notice any difference? Well, yeah. I was suddenly talking about spiritual things that I never talked about before. Mm -hmm. And I was very much obsessed with figuring that out, mm -hmm. understanding what is really at the core of meditation or why, why can it bring you to such depths? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, I think everyone noticed that I wasn't the same anymore. How did you go about finding out more? Um, first, reading books. Also, I kept meditating and mm -hmm. started having a lot of visions when I was meditating, trying to understand those visions and 
Yeah, I think it was also a process of like letting go those aspects of myself that wanted to use meditation because mm. um, there was definitely a lot of impurities in me but like, oh my God, now I have these spiritual powers. What can I do with this? Mm. And that is actually, I think, just the ego. Yeah. And then more learning, why do I even have the need to try to use spiritual powers? Why do mm. you want to use those? Mm. And then basically going back to not trusting that my needs are met, right? I think the need for power comes from wanting to control the outcomes. Insecurity. Yeah. So then feeling and, and getting back in touch with those fears and sitting with them and mm -hmm. basically telling them that power isn't going to answer them, but more that giving up that motivation in service of that consciousness that I would be in touch with. Mm. That's uh, really a good point because sometimes we go into meditation or any sort of um, healing modalities to achieve something, to get right. something. And it kind of becomes like performance-based thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can see that a lot. In like, Yesterday I was talking to a yoga teacher mm -hmm. and he said that there was a time he was dating this celebrity yoga teacher. Mm -hmm. And he went with her to all these conferences where all the other celebrity yoga teachers would hang out. And he said it was the same as high school with mm -hmm. all the cool kids and not the not cool kids. And now just the different topic was, I'm so enlightened. I'm much more enlightened than you. And mm -hmm. like, you know, so the ego then reaffirms itself mm -hmm. and puts another structure of egoic mentality on top of spirituality. So, yeah. I think it's, it's definitely it's definitely something to watch out for, you know, mm -hmm. like when, when you start a spiritual journey to not start to get in your head, oh, I'm now so enlightened or whatever, and continuously stay in service, right? Like, mm. that's why I saw so many meditations in the end, you say, or before the meditation, I'm doing this practice for the liberation of all. I'm giving this energy to alleviate suffering for all sentient beings. Mm. Right. That's like a lot of time Buddhists put that intention before they meditate or after. Mm -hmm. And I think it's also it's a problem I have a lot with this manifesting culture, you know, where it's yes. like where it's like I can manifest my dream house. I teach you how to manifest this car. Yeah. And then, you know, I once went to this conference and then they showed like this guy was this is the car I had on my vision board. This mm -hmm. is the car three years later I had. I'm like, guys, you're all missing the point. This is not about using spiritual powers to influence your life, to create yourself the life you want. It's more about donating your life to the spiritual powers. Mm. And yeah, I think that's a step that very few people take because it's what is in it for you? Yeah. You know, what is in it for you to really take that step to be like, I'm going to give my whole life to love and serving a higher purpose. When did that um, shift of perspective happen? Um, for me, I think it was it's very hard to explain, but during some meditations, it's almost like I was living simulated lives. This is going to sound very crazy, um, <laughs> but like almost like how would it feel if I had all the power in the world? Mm. How would it feel if anything I wanted would come instantly true? Mm -hmm. And I would almost have that lived experience after I come back from the meditation. And after that, I would be like, this is something I absolutely don't want. This is actually one of the most lonely, isolating experiences you can have. Mm. 
when everything ticks according to your will. So at that point, for me, it was a big turning point of being like, I feel a lot safer serving God. I mean, God is one word for it, but a mm -hmm. higher power. Yeah. I feel safer than like running and enforcing my will on things. Mm. And of course, I think it is, you know, there's a, a balance mm -hmm. between, you know, the larger will and your will. And I think sometimes it's also required to really step in and make decisions and, and make very tangible direct actions. Mm -hmm. And other times it's more time to sit back and, and listen and mm -hmm. let the flow of life move. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's, it's, it's a balance. I'm still learning. Yeah. The learning never ends. Right. What are the, the books that you read when you first, you know, looking into meditation after the retreat in order to further understand uh, any books that impacted the learning? Yeah, for sure. Journeys Out of the Body by Robert Monroe. Okay. Um, also, The Ultimate Journey by Robert Monroe. Um, okay. Did somebody recommend you those books? No, I just Googled out-of-body experiences, I think. Oh, okay. I was reading some books about near-death experiences. Mm -hmm. um, I forgot the name of the books. And also Michael Newton, Journeys of Souls. Okay. Um, that's a very cool book. Tom Campbell, My Big Toe, Theory okay. of Everything. 900-page um, book. Wow. But but it's <laughs> but it has theory of everything. <laughs> yeah. So he basically writes about that consciousness simulates reality in order to learn. Mm. So he believes that consciousness is primary and that has created these universes in order to relate to itself. Okay. And so there's basically this all information and consciousness is going into this information experiences itself through rule set and separation and in that process learns and mm -hmm. that learning is becoming more coherent mm -hmm. and coherence in terms of consciousness is love because when you have love in a free will system every unit or every person chooses to benefit every other person mm -hmm. which then creates more organization in that system and that's also a principle that's true regardless if you're talking about people or aliens or anything that has free will as mm -hmm. long as free will units relate to other free will units there will always be the question how does one free will unit take into consideration the will of another free will unit hmm. So that choice to benefit the will of another is love. Mm. And basically that that is the purpose of this whole reality simulation for consciousness to learn about this principle. And so he believes that there's that this is basically an incarnation system of consciousness coming into form mm -hmm. in order to learn and grow. Mm. He's also a NASA physicist and co-founder of the Monroe Institute. Hmm. So this is not like a average spiritual book, it is like very thorough about 
the way he thought this whole thing through. And it definitely gives you a very big picture of mm. what is spirituality and what is consciousness. Yeah, I want to read those books. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're good. I quote all of these books. I also interviewed many of the scientists in my book, The Sequence of Latent Truth. Mm -hmm. Tell yeah. me about that book. So that book is it's inspired by the spiritual experiences I had. Mm -hmm. And it's inspired by the quest of an atheist to find understanding in the spiritual dimension. Mm. Because I didn't really want to go into ancient religion or mysticism or new age hocus pocus. I just wanted to have kind of like, what is really happening here? What is reality? Yeah. And, and, and can, what can we prove? And to what degree can we prove it? And why can we not prove it? And so I'm just kind of doing a very careful and rational investigation on spiritual experiences mm -hmm. and personal growth and also life after death, the possibilities of that. I, I even interviewed Jim Tucker, who collected 2,500 case studies of children remembering past lives. Mm. And 51% of those cases were confirmed, meaning mm. that the children that remember those past lives had details about the previous family, the names of the mom, what they were doing, the way the house looked. Mm -hmm. And they would locate that family and find indeed that one of the family members had passed away six years before that new incarnated person. Mm. And in the book, or Jim Tucker doesn't claim that it's reincarnation because we can't prove it. Mm -hmm. But what we can prove is that verifiable information can travel from a person that has deceased to a newborn that never mm -hmm. met that person. And so then the question is, if it isn't reincarnation, what is it? Yeah. Yeah. So it's a very, very fascinating subject, Ch children's past life memories. Do you believe that consciousness itself decides to come back as certain body? Um, you know, I don't really believe anything, but I've researched that question and I found in some hypnosis case studies where they put people into a trance mm -hmm. in which they remember the, the time between lives. Mm -hmm. Dr. Newton's book writes about that. And so a lot of people remember that time and say that, but when they come to, they don't remember it. It's just when they're in the mm -hmm. trance, they're remembering it. And then afterwards, they don't remember remembering it. But mm -hmm. anyway, when they remember it, they talk about basically constructing lives with the help of guides. Okay. So like first, they having these simulated experiences, what it would be like to mm -hmm. be that person. They get a visceral feeling of the senses and what that person would feel like. Mm. And then they're basically asking friends, mm -hmm. souls that they're already incarnated with, if they would want to join in their life and would want to meet them at some point. Mm -hmm. And then they sort of, with the help of the guides, pick some basic things they want to work on. Mm. You know, like, for example, self-doubt, mm -hmm. you know? So maybe they pick a family that would serve them with that lesson. And sometimes being served with that lesson means receiving so much pain that we yeah. have to step over it. Right. You know, you could learn about self-doubt, for example, by being born into a family that really doubts you mm -hmm. and that really does not support you mm -hmm. and until you feel like that just does not feel good and then you kind of have to grow out of that trauma 
and give yourself that which is the remedy for self-doubt. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's basically a possibility, right? That we are these souls crafting our growth paths. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting is that some of the people remembering these, these in-between t- uh, phases say mm-hmm. that younger souls just get very um, average packages, meaning like they're not very specific. Like if it's the first incarnation as a human, Mm-hmm. You just need to have some experiences before you're going to have some patterns to work out. Okay. So it could be fairly peaceful life. Yeah. Very, you say? Could be. I mean, I don't honestly, all it's all speculation, but <laughs> yeah. Um, I've written some case studies um, of hypnotherapists where the first lives were very peaceful and not much happened to just being a farmer in the, you know, 16th century or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, but like once you have a couple lives under your belt as a soul, you see each life, oh, I'm doing the same things each life. Mm. I keep running into this issue. So maybe now I need to pick a family that will literally reverse that. And then you you start really having some intense, very targeted growth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if that's true, but it's definitely a possibility. I also write about through that framework in my book, The End of Fear. Okay where the main character is a novel, the main mm-hmm. character starts to interface with these multidimensional beings. Mm-hmm. And these beings help this main character work out specific things. Mm-hmm. But in, in my book, it's not, it's happening all simultaneously, where it's like, he travels out of his body, and mm-hmm. he incarnates into another body in a different dimension, where mm-hmm. time happens much faster. So he lives a whole life in an hour. <laughs> And then he comes back to that body, having lived this other dimension, this life in this other dimension. And he basically then brings the gifts of that Mm. life into his current body. Hmm. Yeah. So you have two books out. Yeah. Were you a writer before that? No. Were you into writing? No. (laughs) (laughs) But I guess the retreat really changed a lot of things for you. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I also developed a board game that's based. I on the, saw that. Based Can on you talk being, about it? Yeah, it's based. It's based on this idea, right, on reincarnation. Mm-hmm. Um, well, in Buddhism, it's the idea that you know we come in into these physical lives and we cause so much suffering to ourselves and others mm-hmm. until we recognize our true identity, and then we shift and we start helping get others get out of their spirals. So I kind of depicted that very literally in the board game. It's like there's a big path from start to inner peace. Mm -hmm. And on the path to inner peace, there's all these spirals, arrogance, self-doubt, anxiety, anger, and so on. And when a player falls into one of these spirals, that player then needs to share about that emotion. Mm -hmm. While other players that are not stuck in spirals, they can fall land on this figure eight sign, which makes them a non-physical player. And at that point, they can roll the die and distribute the die roll however they like mm-hmm. and then they can help others get onto exit signs and get out of the spirals where so did that idea come from do you know well i was traveling through the desert in my rv and i was just thinking about consciousness growth from that perspective mm-hmm. like the buddhist perspective and also tom campbell's perspective and i was kind of like oh that would be such a funny board game <laughs> <laughs> it just came to you yeah, <laughs> yeah. What kind of setting do you recommend to use that board game? Um, any setting where you, you know, 
it, it is a conscious setting. Like it's designed to kind of put you into meditative state. There's also breathing exercises throughout mm. the game. Okay. But I've played it literally with my aunt and my uncle and my niece and they loved it. You can play it in any setting you're playing a board game and it's fun. It's so cool. Yeah. Like I can see that people playing at retreats and stuff. Yeah, that would be perfect for that. And then you can get to know each other. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Do you still perform music? Yeah, I play shows. My band's called Moon Hooch. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we play shows. We're about to go on a Europe tour, actually, in September. Do your band members also, like, do you guys meditation together as a band? Uh, we all meditate, but we don't do it like like mandatory thing. But we all meditate, yeah. Were they meditating before or, or did uh, one of you start and then everybody started or...? No, um, we all, I mean, Mike meditated like a little bit before I met him. Mm -hmm. I think actually he, sh he showed me like the very basics. We, I think we meditated together the first time. Mm, My cool. first time meditating was probably with him. That's cool. What's the uh, mission of your band? Is there like a collective mission that you guys are like, you know? Yeah, for sure. I mean, we're planting trees, we're trying to plant a million trees. Mm. And we also just want to bring liberation to people through like intense dancing and music, just sharing love with each other and having experiences that are, you know, beyond our ego. Mm. Yeah. Cool. So that's how like multiple ways that you're serving to the collective through yeah. your writing, through the board game, through your music. Yes. Do you offer any like coaching or anything yeah. like that? I do private coaching. What I really like helping people with is mm -hmm. getting their visions into reality. Mm. But not in the like cheap manifestation way. No, no, <laughs> just taking them actually just taking themselves accountable. Mm. Like, like a lot of the time when we want to get projects into the world, mm -hmm. we have really nice, good ideas that would serve us and others. Mm -hmm. But then we get just trapped in the fog of everyday life. Yeah. And years go by and we don't do them. Yeah. And then we start doubting ourselves and punishing ourselves mentally for not doing yeah. it and so on. And I just want to help people open up a space to like pause this mechanism of doubting and punishing and not doing and procrastinating mm -hmm. and start building just a relationship with their work where mm. it's, it's manageable mm. and doable. And then basically build trust in yourself that you can do your visions and you can do what you want to do and mm -hmm. do it. Yeah. I totally yeah. hear you. And I appreciate all the things that you are doing. Thank you. And that's amazing because sometimes we feel like, you know, who am I to do these things? But you are just stepping up and then doing it. So, yeah. <laughs> thank you for not stopping yourself, doubting yeah. yourself too much and prioritizing yeah, service over your own fear or ego. Yeah. Appreciate that. Yeah. You know, much gratitude to all the people in my life that have supported me and all the spirits and all the non-physical love that mm -hmm. I've continued to receive, you know, I'm absolutely blessed to be living the life I live Yeah, and being able to express all that because holding it all inside would, would drive me crazy. Yeah. 
What would be the thing that you would like to tell yourself, pre-meditation days of yourself who were maybe in a chaotic situation in、mm-hmm. life? Like looking back, what would you tell to that self? You don't have to know it all to be great. We're great just for who we are, and I don't think we're great because we know something, or we're great because we've done something. I think we're great because we are part of this great universe, and we are an integral, unique part of it. There's literally no one like you. There's、mm-hmm. no one like me out there. Not one person that has your soul, and that has your energy, that has the things you've learned.、Mm-hmm. Just you being you. That in itself is it, and anything you do with that on top of that makes it even better. But the baseline is already, I think, a miracle.、Mm-hmm. So I think being less pressured to always have to do things like yeah, I think I could have communicated that to my past self. I could have soothed my anxiety a little bit, my stress,、mm-hmm. giving myself a good hug and just. Make myself slow down a little bit and take in this journey, and and not so much focus on getting to goals. Yeah, I appreciate that message. I received that myself. So thank you, thank you so much for sharing.、Yeah. Um, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you? My website is wenzelmcgowan.org. Okay. Or Instagram at wenzelsacks. And then people can just message you、mm-hmm. on either site. Yeah, great. I will include both links on the show notes and also all the books that you mentioned on the show notes, so that people can check them out.、Sounds、But thank、great. you so much for sharing your gifts and yeah, sharing your story. Thank you. I really enjoyed having this conversation. Here are the takeaways. Number one, meditation changes you and how you perceive things. And when you start changing the fundamental lens you see the world through, the world changes drastically. Number two, your meditation practice will evolve as you go. First, it might provide you with a safe container where you can rejuvenate yourself. Then, it might provide you with access to a dimension of your consciousness you previously didn't have, from which you can handle life situations more effectively. Number three, science has shown that meditation strengthens the connection between our frontal cortex and amygdala. What does this mean? Amygdala deals with emotion, and frontal cortex deals with higher thinking. So, whenever you experience a feeling as a seasoned meditator, your higher thinking now kicks in rather than reacting in a primitive manner. Number four. When you go through the evolution of your consciousness, people around you might resist the new version of you. Whether they accept you for who you are or not, stay true to yourself and also be okay with who they are. It's not your job to change others. Number five, each of us has a unique life journey and the work that requires from us. Although you can be supportive of other people's journey. You cannot do the work on their behalf. They are the ones who have to do the work for themselves, and you are the one who have to do the work for yourself. Number six, 
Oftentimes, our egoic mind wants to insert a hierarchical structure into spirituality by seeing certain people superior to or more enlightened than others. Just because you spend more time meditating than your friends, that does not make you more worthy than them. Number seven, when you have free will and consciously choose love, what you are doing is choosing to benefit another being. And that choice to benefit one another is love. Number eight, when you embrace the truth that we are all connected and we are one, the motivation behind meditation expands from personal gain to contribution to the collective. Number nine, your soul might have incarnated into your body in this lifetime so that it can learn some specific lessons by experiencing life through you. Number 10. You don't have to know it all or have accomplished great things to be great. You are great for who you are. You are an integral part of this great universe. There's no one like you. You being you is already a miracle, and everything you do on top of that is just an added bonus. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can find more about Wenzel and all the exciting things he has going on at his website at wenzelmagowen.org. You will see the links to his books and board games there, as well as his music. You can also check out his Instagram at wenzelsacks for daily inspiration. Also, his band Moonhooch is touring in Europe starting September. You can check their schedule at moonhooch.com. Thank you so much for listening. I know there are a million other podcasts out there you can choose from, and you choosing this podcast means so much to me. So, thank you. If this conversation touched you or inspired you in any way, please let me know. You can share the screenshot of this podcast on your Instagram story and tag me at masakosawa underscore photography. And if you know someone, Who would enjoy listening to this episode, please share it. You can text or email them a link to this episode. Also, if you like to connect with me or with other meditators, I have a private Facebook group called Why Not Meditate. I would love to hear from you. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, subscribe and leave a review. Also, share the episode with a friend. Who might benefit from meditation? We'll be back next week. In the meantime, why not meditate?